Great DJs deserve great music. That's why here at Desi BPM, we're giving professional DJs access to the first ever online DJ pool exclusively for Desi Music. Register your interest now and receive your first three months free at desibpm.com. Hi, I'm Chunt, and I'm a DJ. And I'm Mac, and I'm his MC. Mic check, one, two, one, two. We're just two northern lads who love music and good conversation. And this is our podcast, Roots and Rhymes. If you just so happen to come across us, you're listening to the Roots and Rhymes podcast. The show talking to your favourite British Asians about their favourite British Asians. Well, their favourite musicians in general, really. But I'm Chunt, the roots to my co-host's rhymes. And I'm Mac, I'm the other half of this dynamic duo. I mean, Chunt's for real. Name a better duo right now. I mean, forget I ba- forget Batman and Robin, forget Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, Chunt's and Mac, Absolutely. we've got this going on. We're delighted to bring you this next episode. Yeah. In store this week, we're speaking to none other than UK rapper and poet Rackstar, definitely one of the strongest British Asian talents in music right now. Without a doubt, we're talking about his history in music, his influences, how he's got to the place of being the artist he has become. And not to mention, Chuns, this is probably my favourite three-peat of all time. <laughs> really? This one? Oh my God, I haven't heard that before, Mac. This, this one amongst every other one. But I tell you what, this three-peat does include one of the strongest single picks that we've ever had. So if this podcast is a bit of you, then subscribe, download, rate and review wherever you're listening. And we want you to feel involved and with us every step of the way. So you can follow us on the socials at Roots and Rhymes. Mac, I've got to ask you, have you seen Vikings? I've not seen an episode, but I know what, I know what it is. You know what? I've just started watching it. After a million lockdowns later, I've just discovered it. And I'm convinced Vikings are just like Indians. <laughs> they love to get smashed at weddings, singing folk songs, just like Bullia. Yeah. A bit like you at a Bhangra wedding, to be honest, the only time you sing Bullia. I feel like I finally found what I am. I'm actually a Viking. And you it's just are like, actually a Viking, <laughs> Maybe Vikings are just white Indians or maybe Indians are just brown, uh, brown Vikings, who knows? I'm, I'm going to start calling you the Nordic Indian. <laughs> it's better than being called a coconut. <laughs> Today we have the pleasure of joining an artist who isn't afraid to grind. He's been putting in 110% since he emerged onto the scene at the height of the British Asian music revolution. He's responsible for six studio albums and a plethora of singles with high profile features. If he's not expressing his views through spoken word, you can catch him modelling hoodies for his own clothing label. It's Rackstar. How you doing, bro? That was nice, man. Welcome, brother. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Like, like I told you before, Chance, like before when we spoke, like, you know, I've been paying attention. I've been listening to the podcast and, you know, I rate what you guys are doing. So it's nice to be on here. Oh, man, I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. This we is just, the, this is we the, just love talking to people, man, well, don't we, Mike? We do. We love talking to people. But, you know, there's there's names on a wish list, Rex, that we've got up there in a list, in a on a blackboard somewhere and your name is definitely on that list so this is a big 100% it's a big moment 100%. for us man we're, we're both big fans of what you do so to be able to have the time with you today is a real honour no, no, it's a pleasure man I, like there's a lot of stories that in our industry that haven't been told and you've had some amazing artists that have been sharing their stories so it's nice to be able to be on here to, to do the same no thank you very much for joining us definitely but first of all I want to say congratulations on the new single Forever Journeyman or should I say the 10th anniversary edition of the original Johnny Man. Great vibes, yeah, yeah, great yeah. flow, 
great message on the on the track as well. The, the supporting vocals were were fantastic. Tell us about the single. Um, yeah, like November time. I remember just talking to Sunnet and saying, "Look, it's coming up to ten years next year uh, when since we released Journeyman." Yeah. We just kind of, I was like, maybe we should do something. I know you forgave me for all of the mistakes that I made and I'm grateful. You got my word as a man that'll fulfill all of my duties. So we got into the studio, we had a little thing. Um, I was literally trying to say to Sunit, look, don't worry, don't put pressure on yourself. Like, I know it's a lot of pressure. Because, I mean, that was a really big single for me. Absolutely. It my career when it came out. Mm. But I was just saying to Sunit, you know, don't have no pressure. Just, you know, just enjoy it, this and that. So we got in, we played around with some melodies. And then he was like, bro, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like, you know, let me let me send you what I'm working on. Yeah. So sent me, and I'm like, cool, we're going back to four. And then when it came down to me to write my parts, I'm feeling all this pressure. <laughs> oh my God, like, how did I do the original one? How did I write it? What was I thinking? What do people enjoy about the original? And I've got all this pressure on myself mm. and live up to what we did the first time. And I just, I don't know, the way I kind of dealt with that was just thinking to myself, you know, 10 years later, how have I grown as a person, as an artist? Mm. And you know, the the who, who that that guy who wrote, you know, I wanna live life carefree, like the cribs, like the ones they show on MTV in the original. Mm. I was I I was trying to become something successful and yeah, you know, make my mark. And then ten years later, what have I achieved and what have I done? How mm. have I grown? I think it does show a level of maturity. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Especially in your flow and your lyrics as well. And and obviously the the video as well expresses that as well. It shows that you're in, in a completely different place. That was, the, that was that was the goal, man. And and it's amazing the response I've got from people that have said, you know, when the first one came out, I was 16 or I was with this person or I was, you know, in mm. college. And 10 years later, people have kind of seen their own growth yeah. by listening to the new version as well, which is amazing as well. Like, I just wanted to uh, celebrate what it was. Like, it's 10 years since that song came mm. out and it wanted to be like a mature... Uh, retelling not a retelling but a mature update of okay that was me then this is a snapshot of me now and let people kind of enjoy that moment rewind let's take it back know your roots speaking of journeys so obviously young racks growing up in the 80s in luton very much a working class town what was your first discovery of music i mean obviously like we say it's uh, it's very multi-ethnic uh, a lot yeah. of Pakistanis, a lot of uh, uh, Punjabis there, a lot of um, West uh, African and West uh, West Indian community. What, wh- where did your discovery of music come? Where did where did it first start? I mean, music was always a part of my family life. Like growing up, I have mm. so many memories of you know parties that we'd have at home. I remember you know hearing like my. Like my Massey and my mum, they used to listen to a lot of Bollywood music. So Bollywood, they'd buy Bollywood cassette tapes and they would have them yeah. on. I remember Longawacha, the original. From original. Mm. Pakistani film, isn't it? The original. I remember mm. that on a videotape and that being on loop in the house. Gurdasman cassettes. Whenever we used to go South Hall, our family, like every other weekend or whatever, we'd go to South Hall. My dad would always ask the guy selling the tapes, you know, Gurdasman, Dinavi cassette, like he'd always yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. Gurdasman's new new album and that would be something that would be listened to in the car. I remember when uh Tirajandi came out, I remember being in the car, like in the back of the car and that being that being the cassette that was being played. That's the brilliant, um, brilliant music that is. 
Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan came to Dunstable and performed when I was young. And I remember my parents went to wow. see. I I didn't get a chance to go, but I remember yeah. me and my cousins were like, oh, our parents are going to see Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan perform. What an era that was, you know. Yeah. Performers like that, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, when he came to the UK, it, it, it's almost like when Gurdas Man tours in the UK now. It's like yeah. the older generation stand up and they're like, yes, we're going to that. But you won't when get him going to videos, any other concert. Yeah, I mean, have you seen the, the videos on YouTube? Like, you'll see the amazing stuff. Like, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, when he was in the Gurdwara as well. I in Slough, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Brilliant. Yeah. Like, there's, Brilliant. There's amazing footage of stuff that that happened, like, you know, in the, in the 80s and 90s. And yeah. you just look like, wow, like these are... These are iconic moments that were luckily recorded on on video that we were able to to see now on YouTube. But yeah, a bunch of that stuff. I was a massive like Michael Jackson fan. You ask anyone that I grew yeah. up with, they'll massive my, Michael Jackson yeah. fan. And um, yeah, I used to I used to um, do the when we'd have our parties and stuff. I would do like a little Michael Jackson dance or whatever. Everybody had that. I used to do that. Everybody in the eighties were doing the Michael Jackson. Here's, here's the question though, Rex. How good your moonwalk? It's good. It's got you know, like, my, my moon. My moon walks better now than it was when I was a little kid. Oh, is it bigger feet? That's what it is, man. That's. I. I to be honest, I, I. In my head, like I look back at some of these videos of when I performed, and in my head, I was doing all sorts. But when I'm watching it, I'm like, bro, do something. You're just moving. Like it's, it's just so shimmy. funny. Yeah, it's it's proper. Just standing still and like you know. Yeah, just, yeah. Spinning like every other 30, like thirty seconds. Back then, you probably thought you were hot shit, man. You were doing it. You were I did. Shit, co- right? You know what? You know what's mad? My cousins used to gas me up, like, "Oh, come on, do your Michael Jackson dance," and they stop and then put the tape on, and I'd be, you know, I must have thought I was some sort of superstar. <laughs> Looking back at it, it's so funny because I'm yeah. not. Really, but I mean, the interesting thing. I mean, how we're talking about a, a clash of different cultures and whatever. Mm. I remember. Um, Again, like my parents went to see Gurdasman at uh, Wembley, and the same time uh, Michael Jackson was performing at Wembley Stadium. It's mad. Like I've got a Michael Jackson Dangerous poster from the Dangerous tour. I still got it it's in the studio from when my parents went to see Gurdasman perform live. So it's like, you know, <laughs> unbelievable. You know what I mean? But it's it's like that kind of clash. Like that was the two kind of things. Yeah, that, yeah. So I, I guess that's a, a bit of a defining moment, then, isn't it? That that kind of thing, your mum. Your mum and dad inspired you down the uh, the Punjabi or the Hindi music route and very much that cultural side. But then you also had this discovery of, of Michael Jackson because you, you're you basically the the middle uh, child of, of three brothers, right? Um, yeah. Was there any influence that came from your older brother or or even your, your younger brother? I mean, personally for myself, I, a lot of my inspiration for music did come from my older brother. As well. My older brother was, yeah, I mean, he would, uh, you know, they, he was like two years older and his, obviously his friendship, they used to listen to like Jungle, they saw mm, Jungle Tape. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, you know, Speed that garage, kind of, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, you know, the, the Jungle stuff was just mad though. When you listen mm. to the Jungle now, it's super like high tempo. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing in the raves when they were, <laughs> what kind of ecstasy pills were they yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listening to this stuff? But, um, yeah, and 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 obviously hip hop kind of entered my life at around you know the early kind of nineties was where it kind of entered my mm. life. I can't remember what the exact 
time was, but I, me and my brother used to listen to a lot of Buster Rhymes. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that was probably... Woo-ha woo that, around that yeah, time. Yeah, and Buster like, Warren G. Put your hands, yeah. Uh, yep. Regulate, all that kind of stuff. And even like Apache Indian as well, like he was a massive... Looking back, I realised how much of an influence Apache Indian actually was. Yeah, You know, it's, it's crazy. I just want to stop you there a second. Ap- Apache, I, I, I think I share the same sentiment as you. I knew when, when Apache, when I was younger and Apache Indian was coming through, it was kind of like, you almost had two opinions of him. You had the older generation at the time saying, what the hell is this guy doing? Pretending that he's Indian, but he thinks he's uh, a Jamaica or Jamaican, right? Yeah. But then you had uncles and aunties who were a bit younger where the age gap between us was a, a little bit less they were loving him because he represented a, a real era and time because obviously growing up in the West Midlands there's a lot of um, West Indians and obviously Jamaican music and dub and stuff was a massive influence and he he jumped onto that but he was such an influencer in that time and I didn't I didn't realise just like you that he was um, how much of an influence he was yeah looking back like he's a massive influence and I feel like people are overlooking like yeah. a lot of people did amazing things you know you had Bali Sagu Punjabi MC like later yep. on yep. did a lot of amazing things but Apache Indian he was the first one yeah, bro yeah. like 100%. he was the he was the first one you might have had people do bits here and there but if you trace back the roots of what I actually do it starts with Apache right. Indian yeah because before that it was more the the band culture wasn't it it was it was immigrants coming over here and creating bands. Yeah, it was. And, you know, obviously Yehidas and and uh, and your Alabs and that and them guys. A lot, a lot of them didn't stand the test of time, but Apache kind of was one of the first to fuse together these yeah. these sounds. This, the thing with Apache, where I really like that you're paying homage to him, is that he kind of uh, dared to go out of his circle, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't like, I'm just going to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. It's like, I'm going to sing in a certain way, dress a certain way, make certain music, and I'm going to break through. And, and you're right. I don't really think he gets a recognition he deserves as the first real breakthrough crossover kind of artist from our culture. He, he amalgamated, like, you know, uh, who he, like, a Punjabi person growing up in black culture. Yeah, yeah. And respectfully representing himself yeah. in that culture yeah. without embarrassing himself fully embodied it mm. yeah or, or not representing himself bruv what in chocolate he goes that uh, you know uh you know tora coke, tora whiskey. you know what i mean like he was saying yeah 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 his bars were in Punjabi. He was the first one that was, was doing the first. He was the first man. He yeah. First. So you know, I, you get people after saying I was the first to do this. I was like, nah, nah, bro. No one. You weren't the first. He was the first. He was the first one. So, so I, I caught a quick clip on Hustlers Conventions Instagram where they was interviewing Apache Indian, and this was like. But what was crazy about the interview? There was actually shows on TV about. Asian culture and musicians that are, and what they were doing you don't even get that anymore so he was in an era where it was so difficult to break through as an Asian artist but then he also got mainstream play he was I believe he was on Top of the Pops he actually right, charted he as well yeah, yeah he was on Blue Peter there you go yeah. I, remember, I remember seeing him on Blue Peter I remember seeing him everywhere I remember people in my school knew who Apache Indian was mm. Crazy. We would have little disco at school when they played his songs. Like, you know, these are... It, it was it's like the a, Lynx advert right now. Well, it's nice. Yeah, to, exactly. It's nice to see that. But when you look... Still going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But look, I mean, look at, looking back, like, I grew up in an era where 
you just wanted to assimilate. You didn't want to be any different. And, you know, growing up in England, it was about trying to not stand out. And yeah. a lot of people that anyway, like as a, as a child, as a kid growing up, you don't want to seem like you're different. So, you know, we have different food in the house. We, you know, there's different music. There's all this stuff that's completely different that you have to kind of keep secret. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up in, uh, around, and, and my neighborhood is like, there's no other Asians. Like we were kind of like the only Asians in our mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. And it was more, it was mixed. It was black and white. So you had, you had to try and assimilate in a way where a part of you was kind of kept secret. Yeah. But when Patchy came out, it was like, yo, this is all right. We're, it's cool, man. Yeah. yeah it's not something that, and, and, and that was kind of, you know, as I, as I kind of grew as an artist, as a person, I experienced that more with like, I'd say the next phase of when I was affected by um, someone who'd done something like that was Punjabi MC. He was the next. Like, Boss. That was the evolution of that. I love having this conversation, man, because we're, we're, you know, we're from the same generation. And I think that like the youth today, they're not going to feel that as much. Whereas like you, you really put it so well, we had to kind of hide who we were and not be proud of it for so long. And it's like when people like Apache came through, it was like, finally, we can come out of the shadows and be who we want to be and be respected for it. But before that, you're right. It was like, don't be too loud about who you are because it's not normal to the other cultures in England at that time. They're not used to it yet. So don't be too loud with it. But then Apache comes through and it's like, we've actually got a a leader that we can follow and say, no, we're, we're all good in the spotlight too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, It's interesting that you, you know, even though that happened with Apache, it's still, I'd say even up until this day, yeah. there's probably still, there's a part of that that's ha- that yeah. happens. People to kind of hide a part of themselves. Even like young British Asians now growing up or, you know, Asians in any other, in the diaspora, there's, it's, it is better than it was, mm. but there's still in certain environments, I would say you have to kind of keep that side of yourself. Yeah. yeah. You, you're not really, you can't be too, pr- it's not too proud of it. It's, there's a lot of embarrassing mm. uh, yeah. representation out there in the mainstream. Did you start feeling drawn towards exploring music more creatively around that time because of these influences around you and, and being more exposed to these different types of music? I don't, I don't think the music inspired me to make music. I feel like I was going to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. So I listened to a lot of pop music when I was younger as well. Like I used to really yeah. be in music, like chart music or whatever mm-hmm. it was like. You know, whoever it was, Peter Andre or, you know, Fire. We were, weren't we? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, so I was really into music. I used to get given, you know, I had given, um, when I went to India, I got tabla, I had a dolki, I had a keyboard. Um, I've got like um, notepads of stuff when I've written songs when I was really, really young. Um, the music side of things was never something that I could kind of get. Like I knew what I liked and I knew yeah. what I wanted and this is to this day like I can't produce music Mm. I can't play instruments and I can't do that kind of stuff I just found that difficult I don't know why Mm. but something that I found that I wanted to I wasn't drawn to learn an instrument and the pieces that I work with most of them they're not trained they've learned themselves they've taught themselves a lot Mm. of people you know that were starting back then Um, but for me it was more about expressing myself about writing something about you know, knowing what I like. So if that beat, okay, can we change that part of the beat? And it's, it's the same now. Like I'll know what melody is good, which melody should go where, the structure of a song, the, 
the pre-chorus should be this or whatever. Mm-hmm. So most of that kind of stuff is what I'm really, um, I, I find enjoyable and exciting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, I mean, the environment that I was in, I wouldn't say that influenced what I did or how I got into it. It was more me looking back now. Now I'm older and I look back and I'm like, okay, cool. So that was probably why I like this. Or, you know, Apache was a big influence at the time and I didn't realize, but yeah. now I'm older. I can see okay that was a point when that tape when I heard you know caste system when I heard you know arranged marriage, marriage yeah why like you know I I connected there so speaking that, speaking of your early realize. stuff right so, so am I am I right in thinking that you started by shotting cassette mixtapes in high school and college and then yeah. you released four or five well unreleased mixtapes that I believe nobody's heard of but um, wait, so, yeah, some people are like, people that are people from like my college and from my I get I, sometimes I see my old friends or you know yeah. they'll randomly message me on social media and send me a picture of like an old CD that, yeah, I, yeah. that I released in like 2002 or something but, but I, yeah. I was just going to say they're very purist mixtapes in the sense that you were spitting bars over pre-existing hip-hop tracks and instrumentals and that kind of you stuff know, right you know it was Charles, it was the fact that I wasn't a producer and I couldn't make yeah. music yeah. so I would have a single, I would have a CD single and mm-hmm. some of these singles would have an instrumental on mm-hmm. it. If I liked the song, I would be able to write my version of that song or write a song. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Over it. And I used to have a little mic, like it was actually a headset mic for a PC and mm-hmm. the bit broke. So it was just the mic bit that I would hold to my, on one ear like this and I'd have the mic there and I'd record it on Cool Edit Pro and it was only like a 60, 60 minute uh, trial version of Cool Edit Pro. <laughs> I had to record the vocal and get everything done within 60 minutes. Crazy. That's, that's, that's the early grind that almost comes so easy to people now. Yes, forgotten like, about they can download Logic Pro and get a three month um, free version from Apple directly. No Garage problem. Band. Garage Band, yeah. bro. Just Garage Band, it. free of charge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. crazy, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I used to use... So basically, I, I was a massive fan of Missy Elliott as well. And when she created Get Your Freak On, I was so determined to find out what she was saying when it reversed it, when she flipped it and reversed it. Oh, yeah. Right. So I actually had to use Sound Recorder to actually do it. Sound Recorder on Windows 98, just the most basic piece of software yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah. And then you reversed to, it. Yeah, and reversed it. And she actually, it turned out she just says the same thing in reverse. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's what I'm saying. The the grind of wanting to find that out and discover that it it, it comes so easy now. I think I it is what if you if you're passionate about something and you like to do something or you want to do something, you'll make it work regardless yeah. of you have or what equipment you have. You know, yeah. not everyone has access to computers or whatever. They might just have a phone, so now there's a bunch of apps and they'll be able to do something on. Oh, phone. easy, yeah. If someone likes movies and making films, they'll film it on whatever they've got, whatever equipment they've got. Back in the day, you had to get a camera with a DV mm. tape. Yep. get an 8 mil camera now you can do it on your phone yeah. so, so that was just yeah. my, my 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 thing I had a, I had a PC I had a microphone and I had CDs that had instrumentals so that was just my way of, of so, so what was how did you get into writing music then and writing rhymes and raps and flows what who was your inspiration for that what were you listening to and thinking I've got a story to tell I want or what did you mirror your flow off who did you fl- yeah. uh, mirror it off my my biggest my my biggest influence starting to 
when I was starting, like getting into it and something that kind mm. of flipped the switch in me was hearing Common. Common's album, uh, like, like, like Water for Chocolate. Yeah. So got to think of the era. So the era was like, what, 97. So it was like, you had a lot of shiny suits and people talking yeah. about money they've got yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I heard Common's album, like Water for Chocolate, it was the first time I heard some a rapper being honest and talking about how they felt. The perseverance of a rebel, I drop heavier levels, it's unseen to heard. A king with words, can't knock the hustle, but I've seen street dreams deferred. Dark spots in my mind where the scene occurs. And it just felt like this is a real person, it's not like picture, it's not a character, it's not someone who's bragging about what they've got. All those places, all those, you know, those, those things, that's art, there's art, artistry in that, and there's a place for that. But for me, I had, I, I stumbled across Common. I don't know how, I don't know where I heard it. It might have been on the radio, I might have heard The Light on radio, and mm. then I checking out the album and getting the CD, which was really expensive because it was like an import, and it was, you know, they were like 25 quid, yeah, yeah, 20 quid, yeah. For, for imports. And that album, listening to it, it, I was like, this is a real person. And I connected to it on like a soul, soul level where mm. I felt he can say his truth and talk about real issues and all that kind of stuff and I can do it as well I should be able to do it as yeah. well yeah. So that was the kind of the turning point for me that that album and, and Common as an artist was just someone that inspired me to be and then there were more after that like you know like Talib Kweli I had like a bunch yeah. of other people that I listened to afterwards that were on a similar in a similar vein but that was the turning point it's crazy people like Common that I don't think I don't think they're as widely accepted by people here in the UK uh, because he wasn't like, he was a popular name, but he wasn't a Puff Daddy or a, a Notorious B.I.G. Or, or anything like that. Because but he was as too a lyricist, real. Because he's too Yeah, absolutely. Like, what people like him, him, most deaf, and like you say, yeah. Talib Kweli, these were real lyricists. These were, their yeah. flows were fantastic. They used to talk about real issues, the grinds that they were going through, not about, bitches and hoes and money and all that kind of stuff because that was popular wasn't it when talking about that, that was stuff. popular like i said you if you want a party and stuff that's what you want to listen to you know to hear like a sad depressing song about someone no. like in their club no. <laughs> you know there's there's a time and a place for everything but for me music was just such a personal thing mm. that yeah. when, I, when i heard it and i heard him speaking i just knew okay cool i can do this as well yeah. and Yes. After that, I was just I was just writing all the time. I was constantly writing. And I, actually, you know what's interesting? I just remembered. I didn't actually used to write to instrumentals. I used to just write lyrics. Mm. And I used to have a bunch of lyrics. So in school, at on the back of my uh, school books, we used to have um, little battles that with like you know other 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 kids at school, and we used to write little raps for cussing each other. And then there was a point where I started writing my own, like, just raps. So I would write, like, maybe, like, a whole page. So it was by, like, 36 bars or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no structure to it. And there'd be so many words. And then I would get it instrumental and I would try to rap it, but I couldn't because there were too many yeah, words. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is a fascinating thing now because I, when I hear new rappers, they do that as well. They'll try mm. and fit. And I'll be like, okay, cool. If I can, you know, if they ask me for advice, I'll tell them, I'll be like, look, write to the beat, write to a song, because just writing the lyrics, it's just a stream of consciousness, right? It's Mm. just a bunch of stuff that I felt or that I was going through. And, you know, that was just a part of me, that learning that process of that as well. So you continued that grind then, and 
and the small gigs and the the things that weren't so great to do through oh, into man, small gigs. You know, the worst thing is <laughs> a gig when you're when you're Asian and a rapper, you yeah. will get for Asian gigs. They don't want to hear yeah, rappers. Yeah, yeah. No. You're rapping in English. Right. <laughs> what the hell is this Lundu doing? Bruv, I know the amount of bu- abuse I get and the amount of stuff I've had, like, you know, environments that I've been in where you've got a bunch of drunk Bongara heads and they don't want to look at your bootha because you're, like, you know, you're wearing a hat and you're trying to rap. Oh, man. You know what? We we spoke about this with H. Dummy, actually. H actually... He said the amount of abuse that he went through as well, even as a Punjabi singer in these environments, because sometimes you feel as if the the culture then wasn't as accepting as, well, it wasn't as accepting of new fringe artists. They were very much, who the hell is this guy? Not respecting the grind and, okay, this is, a, this is an up and comer. Nowadays, you do have more events where they open mics and stuff like that. They're, they are emerging through and people are more... Um, more up for discovering new music. But back then, people just wanted to bottle you or throw a drink at you or, like, just swear at you. Bro, I, I, I used to have, like... I used to be really excited about doing the show, and then when I would get there, I'd have so much anxiety. I remember I used to go with, like, a bunch, like, you know, a bunch of my friends, because I'd be like, look, if it kicks off, we've got to, like... You know yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine, like, I'm just I'd a do kid... Our thing, loves, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just a kid that loves doing music I write songs I'm trying to perform and these people are trying to like you know beat me up like, yeah, it makes yeah, exactly. like what is what is the logic behind that but yeah. you know those oh man I just think about those those shows sometimes and I'm like <laughs> look at where you are now <laughs> it's, 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 it's actually like you know crazy it's a, it is a rite of passage man like honestly it's it the same with those DJing at the tiniest gigs bloody daytimers and that kind of stuff before even when like 20 people would turn up, you still had to DJ. It was yeah, the only way yeah. you'd get your name out. So discouraging at the time, but you kind of realize, you know what? I paid my dues. You have to go through it. I mean, a lot of people, it may come easier now, um, but it's yeah, a, I think it's it a is lot. a rite of passage. It is a, I think you're right. Because I, you know, I remember a lot of the times you're getting booked at Bangarad gigs and you've, you've got the R&B slot and it's like, Get the fuck off the stage when I'm here to hear you. When I'm here to hear you. You know exactly how it feels, bro. That hostility is mad. It's not even like, nice, is it? It's like, it's, it's nah. serious aggression. Like, get the fuck off stage. It's We're not here hard. to hear this shit. Yeah. We're here to hear what we've come here for. Yeah. And, you know, you've got Fully. a half an hour R&B hip hop set. And it's like, I'm, man, I'm getting flashbacks now. Like, PTSD. I need to get out of here quick. <laughs> but you know what's mad? This, you know what's mad though? Like, even when I was, I was a little bit known, it was still the same thing because you'd get these promoters who'd be like, right, we've got Bhangra artists. Let's get like an urban artist. Mm. Oh, let's get rap. And bruv, they're not there to see me though. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're there to see like, you know, whoever it was, bro. Like, you know, the, 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 the Bhangra artist or whoever the, the Bhangra producer or whoever it was. So they, those are really tough, like, there was a point where I had a set where I would have like a, like a um, Bhangra instrumental and I would just kind of have that mixed into my own track. Yeah. And we just rap over that. Even that was like, I was on the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they might how, feel the beat. Depends how drunk they were, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They might feel the beat and let me slide or they might be like waiting for the Punjabi part to start and be like, this guy needs but to Where's the bully, bro? Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, you know, I, I, I had a lot of anxiety then. And then I think I got to a point where I was just like, 
I used to enjoy, this was around 2010, I'd say. And mm. then I got to where I was just like, you know, I need to start enjoying. I used to enjoy performing. Like yeah. I actually do performing and I shouldn't feel like this. So I got to a point where I was like, look, let me go out there, enjoy it. If they don't like it, then cool. If they do, then good. As long as I'm enjoying myself and having fun. And, you know, I would have a DJ with me, one of my mates. And as long as we have fun and enjoy it. Out of 10, if you're having fun on stage and you're having a good time and enjoying yourself, performing your music, the audience... Infectious. It's infectious, definitely. So just going back, I know we skipped to to like 2010, but just pulling it back a little bit from uh, when you were in university, you uh, you studied drama and film. So very much you were a child of performing arts. You really enjoyed the the rapping element and the the drama and the film and that kind of stuff. You loved uh, putting on a show, as you say. but naturally, social circles grow and you start creating more and more connections. Your pursuit obviously gained some traction because around that time you created a relationship with Mentor, didn't you? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, he invited you to spit some bars. Tell us, tell us a bit about that time and how that came about. That was a little bit before that. So I, I had a website and I used to post my lyrics on my website and I had mm. little snippets of like some MP3s of some songs. Mm. And... Um, there was some forum or something and I posted some lyrics and somehow we, I got in touch with mental basically. Um, and we, you know, we, uh, we, I think we once we just spoke and he was like, I'll oh, come down and come to the studio and, you know, it'd be good to like work on something. Um, and then I remember going down to London. It was, that was like a proper big deal for me. Like, wow, you know, this is when uh, they had like pure garage out, like Rishi mentor. Oh yeah. 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 They had pure garage out. I think it's pure garage. Out too. So I went down to the studio. Um, it was my first time, like having a proper mic. Like he taught me how, like what backing vocals were. I didn't know what they were. Um, we rec- I recorded a verse for one of his songs that was going to be on his album, and like that was it. And then it was kind of it was just like a reg- kind of kind of normal hip hop track. And then we kind of kept in touch. Um, and then I ended up. So that again- was your first experience of being in the studio, then as well. It so wasn't you- a studio. He had like a home set up. Okay. So it okay. A proper studio. I'd been in studios before because there was a there was studios in Luton. Like I used to book out a studio mm. here as well. There was an engineer that I used to work with, um, but I didn't know a producer. That was the thing. So I mean that that was around the same kind of time. Um, and then he got me involved again for Pure Garage Three. There was a song on Pure Garage Three where Richie Richie's Pure Garage Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first time I ever got paid for doing like music. Amazing. So I got I got I remember I got a check from Rishi and it had like. <laughs> my name on it and I got paid for doing my verse. How did that feel? How, that, did it kind of feel as if, uh, was it really encouraging for you to think, hang on a sec, I, I'm, I can get paid for this. Bro, I, I was just gassed. I was <laughs> gassed. like, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Like Rishi's like, you know, he's like, you know, he's Rishi bro. So, and this is before the other stuff, but he was yeah. still Rishi. Like Rishi's legend from 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 early. Well, even so. them days, man. Pure Garage Three, they were amazing albums at the time. Yeah, they had the Love albums. to Love albums. Like yeah. Rishi was doing bits way before that. So for me, it was just a fact that you know I, I was able to be on a song which has been released on a CD, and they played it on radio at like eleven o'clock at night one day. <laughs> like that song that I was on, I remember my mom was like, "Oh, they're playing the song." So that was like <laughs> yeah, that was like amazing for me. So. Yeah, that kind of relationship kind of, um, you know, it built on those little things. And then I did um, I did a, um, a feature for Juggy's album as well. So he... That's yeah, wasn't it? It was on. Yeah, yeah, the remix. So I was on that. 
But you actually <clears throat> got credit on that one as well. That's the thing that because on Pure Garage Three, you're not actually credited as as being the rapper on the on it, right? Because it does. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I it I you can't see where it says feature featuring Rackstar on the on, on the Pure CD. It, it did have okay. It so maybe in the booklet or something like that, maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. On the, the on booklet. the CD at the back, I think it says like it says MC, and then it says right. You know, singer or but with with Juggy with Juggies on on his album Nushy, it was like Juggy D featuring Rackstar, and that was a, that was a yeah. big thing, man. That was like great to see that Juggy was doing doing bits as well. He was massive. His album was a, was taking off. Yeah, I mean that was all around that time. That was a you know that was the you know everyone was that's when the you know, Rishi Rich project, the Jay Sean, all of that stuff was happening. So yeah. that was on the back. So that was kind of really like. An, an amazing like exciting time for everyone in the industry because we're like you know what are these guys doing like what's going to happen next and yeah you know we saw what happened after that like well you know, we talk about how pivotal that that era was mm-hmm. i mean around the early noughties through to 2005 2006 it is massive for british asian music it was uh not just well the project kind of paved or they kind of brought it all to light and they it was a it was a massive deal but there was everything like the Brahma Awards and and British Asian Movement and all of this stuff was absolutely massive at that time and it really really did and it was it was a good time for you. Bro, you well. had like Punjabi Punjabi Hit Squad would always do a remix for whatever big yeah, pop exactly. tune was out. You'd get a massive. I remember they had that um, the remix for uh, Tipsy Jaquan Tipsy. You yeah, know? yeah. They had the remix for that, like all these big songs, and you'd always get like some sort of Dissy remix. Yeah, you know, even Rishi was doing the stuff with Craig David, like this. This was all big stuff, man. Mm. Like re- huge to partner with Craig David on like Rise and Fall remix, and then Spanish as well. And yes. it was massive. I had the vinyls; it was unbelievable. Jay Sean Eyes on You remixes left, right, and center here and there. Mm. Brilliant! It's such a good era for music. And yeah. around that time as well, obviously, you're starting to gain more traction, and you partnered with Sonny. I don't know when did you guys actually meet, and how did that partnership? like start and happen so it's actually like i kind of got to a point where i wasn't sure if i wanted to keep doing music or not yeah i kind of kind of took a step back from music and i wasn't really doing anything and like i said i had that website and i had a couple of snippets of mp3s up so how i met soon it's quite interesting so obviously bobby and the had their show on radio one that Mm. everyone used to listen to it was on like nine o'clock everybody Hearing it one week, and they had MIA had this song called Galang, and there was a remix, Cheer and it up. just it just said Sunnit remix, and I was like, "Yo, this is sick!" He he sampled some uh, part of Shole in it, and it was really really good. Hmm. And then the next week, I remember getting an email from our website, and it was like, "Oh, hey, I've listened to some snippets on your website. Do you want to work?" And I looked at the name, and it was like Sunnit, and then I was like, "Is this the same guy that had this remix played on radio?" Yeah, yeah. So I spoke to him and he was like, yeah. And then he sent me his website, bro. He had all of these amazing beats on his website. Mm. And um, keep it undercover beat. It was called First Kiss. I remember it was on his website. And I was like, yeah. bro, beat's really good. Like I could maybe do something to this. Mm. And um, he he was like, cool. And then uh, he was in London at the time. So I remember going to meet him and we just spoke. And he was like, bro, I've got all these beats. I'm looking for someone to work with. And I was like, bro, I can rap. I got no producer, so we were just like, "Cool, that's yeah, yeah, that's it." Mm. And then we did the song, and I was like, "You know, he'd already got had it had a song played on radio." And I was like, "Do you think we can get it played?" He goes, "Oh, I can send it to them." 
And then got it done, got it mixed, got it mastered. Actually, it wasn't it wasn't mixed or mastered. Sorry, <laughs> it was just like in the studio. Raw. Yeah, yeah, it was proper raw. The bass was so loud. I think Sonic mixed it on like on headphones, and there was no bass. Yeah, <laughs> bass, so we had it bare loud. And then when we sent it to radio, the bass was so loud. Anyway, so you know, we got the we did the song, we got it played on radio. And I, I think I've told this story a couple of times on other podcasts and stuff, but mm. you know. After it got played on Radio One by Bobby and Hart, it was just, you know. I think, I think it's so, so that radio show, Bobby Friction and Hal Max actually featured on that once upon a time as well. Mm. He sent his music oh, yeah? into yeah, the yeah, hall back, back, back in the day. <laughs> so the crazy thing, it paved the way for so many people. It was so, to be on Radio One, even though it was like, at 11 o'clock at night or whatever slot they were on so bro this was, was so this was before that this was nine o'clock this is when the the show was in the full peak used to yeah, come yeah yeah 11 so they and everyone used to listen to it whoever got their song played on there their life would change i remember as soon as that 100%. song got played on radio one the next day my email inbox was nuts like fully, fully nuts it was like, it, it was it was people used to listen to that to discover new music yeah, it was the same yeah, with yeah. me i went through an era when um, I absolutely loved like Asian Dub Foundation and uh, Knit and Sony. And I used to listen to their show to find out what the new fusion tunes were. You know, the drum yeah. and bass Asian fusion vibes. I used to, I used to look at their show and they even released an album, Bobby Friction and Nahal Presents, because mm. yeah. they were in such an influential position that they were paving the way for these people. Fully. And it, it was like, if you, once you got played on radio, it sounds a bit crazy now, but once you got played on that show, you had kind of made it like, People knew who you were and they oh, knew yeah. your Oh, yeah. So it was good. You would like, you know, it, people would know exactly who you were. You could go places. A lot of doors opened for you after that. So. For us, it was we were playing catch up, like me and Sunny after that. So after we did that, we were like, oh, let's do another song. So we ended up doing like, you know, like three or four more songs and then we ended up just, you know, we'd do the song and then we'd send it to radio. And then Keep It Undercover was still one that was really, you know, connecting. So we ended up doing, I was like, we need to do a video for this. Mm. So we ended up doing a video for it and then it got played on Channel U and it was always on Z Music. And that, that, again, that was another... Channel U, man. Channel yeah, U was, that was just quite, We were the first artist to get played on Channel U. Like, Channel U was so pivotal as well, wasn't it? Like, channel, it was this, like, bog standard, like, nothing special about it. It was just playing... The grimiest, like, independent tunes ever. Sometimes you'd catch a really good beat, it'd be absolutely great. And then sometimes it'd be like guys on their 3210 just <laughs> recording some kind of beat or whatever, like that, you know? It was it was about as raw as that, but we were so lucky was big. Because that time, again, like, it's the same thing. It was, it was serendipity because that time was so, like, everyone was watching it. Like, everyone yeah, was watching yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Played on there, and you're and we just sent it to them and didn't know it'd get played. And it was used to obviously, channel you was a uh, uh, you had to text or you had to call to get a right. video, yep. And we used to get so much love on there, like so many people put on requests. So for me, it was a uh, it was fascinating because I think about two weeks after that song got released, I remember walking down my road and I had people that I went to school with that are a couple of years younger, mm. or older than me, sorry. And they were like, yo, what's going on? Seeing your video on channel. <laughs> like, you know, and both of these things were at a point where it wasn't saturated, the market wasn't saturated, and it wasn't just whatever. It was a, it was a, you had to have a level of quality uh, control, as in your product had to be good. Like, you yeah. might go, 
have got played on there. You might have got played on Channel You might have got played on the radio. But if it was good... It lasts, yeah. Yeah, it would definitely connect to people and it would lead to something. And we were lucky that at that time, that's what that's what happened. So the, you're saying with um, Keep It Undercover, that was that was the one that, that really gained a lot of traction. And obviously, following that, a couple, uh, in 2007, you released the EP, uh, for, uh, Fulfilling Ambition. Yeah. So was that... Did that come from the success of keeping it undercover? As you said, you, you you just wanted to put, you wanted output. You wanted to basically throw tracks at radio and get it out there and, and keep yourself relevant. Because the funny thing is, it's, too, it's twofold here. It's, it's great that you you brought out the EP and you put your music on there. But at the same time, I think there weren't many dissy rappers as such. You had your MCs, right? You had your... You had your uh, medicine and tricks and that kind of thing, but rappers with more meaningful lyrics telling stories and stuff, there weren't that many at the time. And especially when yeah. you were dabbling with uh, saying Punjabi yeah. words and stuff like that, it's very, very much ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, it, we were, like I said before, like we were just playing catch up. We didn't know what we were doing. Like we, we'd released a song to radio, it popped off. We released a song to Channel U, it popped off. It was on Z Music Box, like it mm. popped off. It was getting played everywhere. Now, like, okay, what do we do now? Now we're getting people booking us for a Miller. We're doing shows here and there. Okay, bro, let's do another song. Okay, cool. We've done like three or four songs. Maybe we should put them all together on like some sort of, oh, we don't want to do an album. Let's just call it an EP, even yeah. though it's like near enough album. It's like hmm. half an hour, seven songs on it. So it just got, it was just kind of like, like, okay, cool. Let's do this now. Let's do this. We didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't really have a plan. We were, it was, you know, naivety of, of, of youth as well. Like we were just excited and we thought, okay, this is cool. So let's yep. do this. Um, and then it kind of, it kind of hit a limit because you've got to remember the environment as well. So there weren't, like I said, there weren't, like you said, sorry, there weren't anyone, there wasn't really one else doing the kind of thing that we were doing. There no. were probably a couple of other, I had some peers, like there were some people, there were other rappers and like other Asian MCs and stuff that were doing things but we didn't have someone like oh look so-and-so did that like you couldn't look on and say oh so-and-so did that so let's kind of follow that path like you know jay sean had done his thing mm. and you know we saw him and what he was doing but it was like okay cool so who else is after him like yeah, yeah, yeah. i can't see anyone else coming under underneath him and 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 getting to that same level or doing that same thing yeah yeah I don't do what he does. He's a singer. I'm a rapper. Like, who else is, like, what are we supposed to do? I was going to say, he's more R&B. You were very much right. Even though Jay Sean could rap, he wasn't a yeah. rapper. You know, he's, he was an R&B he's, singer. His stuff, yeah, I mean, stuff that charted of his and that was doing, that was successful, it was all R&B records. Mm, absolutely. You know, they kind of, like, the Rishi Rich Project broke up. Like, they kind of all went their separate ways. Yeah. And the industry just kind of, it kind of imploded a little bit because I, I think Music Box stopped taking... Uh, video submissions channel you kind of got a bit saturated mm-hmm. with and um bobby and the house show moved to like one in the morning like all of these things were happening and we were like okay cool like what do we do now so uh, literally all of my peers around that time they stopped doing music like everyone stopped doing music so between i'd say 2007 to 2010 everyone just kind a of bit stopped. of a lull didn't it it, it, yeah, had it, it fully did bit. yeah 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 fully did like i feel like we had a peak and then it didn't continue that peak kind of was there well, and then it it's like down. you said like the likes of jay sean at that point he went over to the u.s 
So his output changed completely. Um, Rishi Rich uh, started working on his uh, his tracks with H. Thammy and that that kind of stuff, and then was probably a little bit quiet. His album RDB started uh, gaining popularity in India and Pakistan, going over there on the Bollywood scene, and it kind of didn't leave us with much around that time. But but what I have to say from that after that lull around 2010, your output has been phenomenal. But before we move on to the, to everything that happened post 2010, I just want to draw some attention to uh, True Story on the mini EP uh, Lost Ones. That tune. So that's that's over ten years old now. Ten years ahead of its time. The reason why is because it had such a gully style about it, style that you only have seen in recent years about the flow and the way that you uh, you wrapped in Punjabi and the, the style of the music and the and the way it is. It was very much ahead of its time. And so talking about Apache Indian earlier, was that some of that inspiration coming through there about mixing the the two the two styles? He was only 21, swore he'd never try it Roll with a crew who made money cause they supply it He concentrated only on the books and his classes Studying Da Vinci, he wanted to be an artist If it was, it was um, subconscious Okay I didn't consciously think, right, this is what I'm gonna do It was really subconscious But I, I mean, like, I appreciate that, bro Because that song, I think, is probably one of the best songs I've ever written and it's amazing yeah, it, it, and, and Sunit just smashed it on the production. But I just feel like you are right. It was it was ahead of its time. Like it just it was too much. And, and I felt like that a lot as well. A lot a lot of the stuff that I was doing at that time, because I felt like for me, my peers were like common. My peers were these rappers yeah. were at, at the peak of their game, mm. and I was trying to compete with them. And I was in it like I had a bar. I feel like I had a I had a bar around that time, and I was like. I feel like I'm stuck in a scene that doesn't deserve me because I felt like I was my 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 headspace and my my dreams and my aspirations and my creativity mm. was trying to match the level of what was pushing us and I was around an environment where people are trying to make something catchy and you know mm. like Poppy and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. commercial. It's like it? it's like commercial. It's like real. someone trying to. It's like someone trying to write a book, and someone trying to make a TikTok video. Like you know, they're com- completely two different arts. Absolutely. And you know, they all have their merits, but you can't compare one to the other. And I felt like I was writing books at that time and writing, you know, art, and people were making uh, at the time the equivalent of TikTok videos. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's a a good analogy and a, a, a great way to put it. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it was well ahead of its time. The uh, the complexity of your your flow and lyrics were were well ahead. But even the beat as well, the the way that that stood against it was unbelievable. I think I think it's definitely one of my one of my favorite tracks. No, uh, I appreciate that, bro. I think you know I would encourage people to listen to that song. Like I'm talking about, you know, even the issues in that song. Like I'm talking about a guy. The third verse is about a guy who comes from India here and he gets trapped mm. by. You know, because you know what, what the immigrant experience of coming yeah, yeah, here, yeah. having an idea of what it's going to be like, but what the reality actually is. You know, I, th- I think the pro- the problem is Rex as well is at that time when everything was getting put out and it was poppy. I think people couldn't appreciate the the complexity of your work and 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 the amount that you put into it. And like you said, you're making in depth books and novels and 
and real, real, and writing real lyrics. And people were were just used to uh, funny hook lines and 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 catchy hook lines. And I think I think that's why it feels it was such ahead of its time, to be honest. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, bro. I feel like you know, if you can, go, people go back and listen to it now, they can they can see what was what was going on back then. It should be one of those where it was that gets appreciated more now than it probably would have at that time because the headspace is available for people to hear those kind of messages. I think like it's always great when you talk to someone who's done something way ahead of their time because you've almost consciously or subconsciously seen where the future's going for this. It's a there has to be a person who goes. I'm going to talk about this now, whether you're ready for it or not, because one day when you're ready for it, it will still be there. And that's kind of what that song really stands for, is that you're ready to talk about it. When everyone catches up, that song's there for them and it'll always be there as a piece of work. And uh, it's just really nice to be able to look back and say, you know what, that that piece of work 10 years ago is still so relevant today and people can take so much so much out of it because the consciousness shift of society allows it to to live nowadays whereas it might not have been as widely accepted back then. Mac, I love the positivity, man, because at the time, what, what, like now looking back at it and from your um, analysis of it, that's spot on. But at the time, you feel like, why am I even bothering? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. no one's appreciating this. Yeah. Like, you know, this is like complex. I put a lot of work into this care and effort and mm. time and it's just going completely over people's heads. And I feel like, yeah, there was a lot of frustration, with, like I felt at that time, because I was kind of boxed in. Like I didn't have a outlet to to uh, be able to reach more people, and people didn't want to hear that at the time as yeah. well. They didn't. Want, some people did. Like there were there, there was a pocket, you know. Then my niche was my niche. They appreciated that, but mm. you know, I mean, there's two sides to that as well. Like if you're not making popular music, if you're not making music that is going to reach the most amount of people. You can't complain about what you are making, right. not the most amount of people, right? Because yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah, it's a double-edged sword. But you know, it's at that I can I can see why you know at that time I did that, and people that were doing music at the time that wasn't getting anywhere, I can see why they stopped because yeah. you just it, it was like banging your head against, against a brick wall because no one was paying attention. It's soul destroying, isn't it, to kind of put your heart and soul into a craft and then not see it, not appreciate it, but. I think with I think with a lot of the pioneers and you know I definitely put you in the category of pioneering what you have done is that's a lonely road man because you're doing stuff that it has to go against the grain and once you once you're against the grain you're on your own because like you say there's not it's not about like I want to do something commercially viable so that you know I'm I'm a me too kind of person in the industry to stand alone and and do what you stand for uh, takes a huge amount of courage man and, and we we definitely respect the journey that you've taken on that on that way no, I appreciate that I feel like people in the in like the industry and also you know even like super popular like rappers now and artists now like in our scene like they always show love and they always pay homage as well yeah. so I feel like I've got the respect of my peers yeah. uh, and and people that know kind of what what, what I've been doing and, and what I have done as well yeah I think I think that's really important um, but you say the underappreciation and and it felt as if you weren't being heard to an extent. But then three, four years afterwards, Rex, it was a huge year for you in 2014. You you won Best Urban Asian Act at the British Asia TV Music Awards and Best Independent Act from the Eastern Eye. So did it kind of feel as if in that 
time that you were being heard and you were appreciated. Obviously, the, you had a phenomenal amount of music that came out in between. But mm. did it feel like that you were finally getting the the dues you were deserved? I feel like it was how I was, how I was talking about before. I was still like trying to learn the industry. So I feel like I'd kind of figured out a little bit what I needed to do. So with the, I remember before I released Johnnyman, which was in 2011, Mm. I said, this is it. Like it's, you know, now or never. I've been doing this for like five or six years. And I had, from 2008, I had started working as well. Like I had, before that I was just doing music full time. And I think from 2007, 2008, I'd got like a part-time job. So I was working now Mm -hmm. uh, to make ends meet. And I decided, look, I've, Either you forget music or you go all in. Like there's no, yeah. you, can't do, you can't, it's neither here, you can't be neither here nor there. Just mm. either you go for it or you don't. So I just, me and Sonnet did Journeyman in 2008. We wrote and recorded it and we hadn't released it. And I knew that it was sitting there. So I remember saying to Sonnet, right, we're going to release this in on Valentine's Day. And I had um, a Sid, a friend of mine from Luton who was doing videos, who was amazing as well. So everything kind of came together and I was like, right, after the, I knew bro, a week before that song came out, I remember looking at my Twitter and I was like, all these people that are ignoring me or that are taking man for an idiot, after this song comes out next week, they're all gonna know what the levels are and things are gonna be different. I know I made mistakes and I've done things wrong Didn't appreciate you until you were gone But you're back now and I ain't gonna back down Wanna give you everything you want, that's why And that's exactly, <laughs> bro, that's exactly what happened You fully manifested it, man I knew, I, I knew because I knew what, like, what that song the, 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 the potency and the vibrancy the what Exactly what that song was Because no one was, one, no one was doing that no, Two, no one could do that like, We had something there that was uniquely ours Someone that was able to and everyone that we'd ever played that song to before then had just fallen in love with it. So we knew instantly it was going to hit, and that song went viral. And I knew after that, like I had that year, I was supposed to release four songs. I only ended up doing two because, again, life kind of, life kind of, and I, you know, what, I'll be honest. What actually happened was I was still too much of a nice guy with everyone. So whoever asked me to do a feature. Whoever asked me to do a verse, I did it for them. And I ended up prioritizing other people over myself. So my projects kind of yeah, took yeah, a step yeah. back and I ended up doing, this guy wants to do a track, this guy wants to do a song, this guy wants to do that, there's this project going on. And I tried my best to, you know, I was trying to help everyone. Like I thought, if I've done this, this is up there. If we can all elevate together, we can all kind of do something. Mm. So to try to shine my light, whatever. If someone's paying attention to me, cool, I'll do a feature with you. Now they'll pay attention to you. Both of us, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it didn't end up working like that. People took advantage of that the fact that I was doing people favors. And do you know what I mean? So, it, I mean, that's the, what happened in that year and probably a couple of years after that. But I just, I just decided to, you know, I need to go fully all in. So that's exactly what I did after that. And that's probably why, you know, the ball started rolling a bit more with. Mm. appreciating getting people listening getting the appreciation and it was an industry change as well like things have changed radio wasn't as important radio was cool but it wasn't as important the internet was a little bit more of a lead like you know we were getting respect because of the numbers we were doing on youtube the Mm -hmm. reason why johnnyman got played on radio like 
um, it, it never got played on Radio 1. Nihal had a show on Radio 1. Mm. We sent it to him the week it came out. He never played it. Mm. And then I think a year later, after it hit a million views, then he played it. So we knew that the power had shifted. Before, you played on radio and your stuff pops off. Now, your stuff's popping off on the internet and radio has to play you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and again, that, this is the whole beginning of YouTube and the internet era and all this kind of you, stuff. You so very again, much caught that early, didn't you? You, you, you kind of rode that, that train really early I, on. I, 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 don't, I don't think we did, bro. I feel like I was the first, but we were still late to that. Like, I was, in my mm. generation of artists, like British-Asian artists, you can speak to any of them and they'll all say that I was, it was a massive thing. When we hit a million views after a year, it took a year. Now people do that in like, what, 12 hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoever's, like, you know, buying them, whatever. Anyway, I want to get into that conversation. But <laughs> it took us a year to get a million views. And when we got a million views, I remember releasing this freestyle, a million views. And everyone in the industry was so happy. I got so many amazing messages because we all knew that it was such a big deal. Big deal, massive um, deal. And then after that, it was possible. And then, you know, we all started, you know, hitting those milestones and getting there. But mm. it was, a, it was a, again, it was a learning process. Like so. I, th- I think you're right. I think sometimes very early on, you can be quite naive and you think, like you did, if, if I'm doing okay and people are looking at me and then if we elevate together, we can kind of shine a spotlight on the whole industry. It makes us all look strong that we're working together and stuff. But then I think maturity often ends up being that you end up learning how to navigate the industry and, and that becomes a craft in itself, how you should really play things that not play people, but play the industry itself yeah. and, and, and certain things you have to do. But I, I just want to touch on the fact that you said that you were doing features for absolutely everybody. As well as your amazing in, independent releases, you've you featured alongside some really talented people like Sarinda Ratan, DJ Harps, Zach Knight as well when you're India, side of things came in, Bohemia, Badshah, Rajiv B, Amr Sandhu. These are these were also quite important, but also were they were they navigated much better? Was it more tactical and it was more like the people that you respected and you wanted to work with as opposed to yeah, I'll, I'll help you out on this track. I'll do this for you, no problem. Every everyone that you just mentioned were all features that I was <clears throat> excited about and happy to be a part of. Um, the ones I was talking about previously were more artists that, that you probably not heard of them now, mm. or they've stopped music or whatever. Yeah. Because it was me kind of trying to help them, and then ultimately it didn't work out, and then they quit. Um, I mean, these the, the the ones that you mentioned, and and a bunch of other ones as well. Um, well, first thing is I'm proud of even if I even if the artist has stopped doing music or whatever, I'm proud of that verse. It's probably like the you know every single verse that I've done, I'm super super. Proud of Absolutely, you have to so be. Much. Yeah, I, yeah, I put so much of myself into the into my writing and my and my um and my words. But yeah, I mean, and navigating navigating other features is is an interesting process because you've got to look at what you're bringing to the table and what they're bringing to the table, huh? and you've got to figure out how you can maximize, you know, maximize the effectiveness of that collaboration. So that has become more calculated in in my head 
when I'm thinking about certain collaborations yep. from say, after around 2015, 2014, 2015. After that, it was like, okay, cool. I've done a bunch of these things, blah, blah, blah. Let me like, you know, who am I working with next? And then it'd be like, okay, cool. So I've got this song. What if we worked with this person on it? Or yep. this person's got in, <clears throat> got in touch with me. How can we create something which Makes something happen, yeah. Yeah, makes us both shine, makes the mm. song how can I, my goal is always to make the song better. Like, I don't want it to be dragging. I don't want it to stop. I don't, mm. if I'm on a feature or if I'm working with someone, it's always, how can we make this song the best version of the song that it Absolutely. can be? So I, I want to go on to, uh, in a little while to, to talk about a couple of other features, but just in between these eras, it's in 2016. You were involved in the BGC Asia Network's advertising campaign for your spoken word piece about yeah. uh, being 100% British and 100% Asian. That personally resonated with me massively. I think I think that's probably one of your best work, from my opinion, because oh, it, it, it said it said it resonated with me massively. Spoken word, it was slightly different. Um, mm. The delivery was slightly different to what you hear on your songs. How did it feel to you? And did did that kind of thing come from a deeper place? And what did it feel like to be a part of the, the campaign with BBC Asia Network? Bro, this is such an interesting story. Um, mm. Just going to tell you exactly how it is. So basically, um, I think about a week before they wanted to shoot it, they got in touch with my manager and was like, uh, we want Rax to be part of this project or Asia Network, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, okay, cool, send over the whatever the information is. So they sent over the information pack. And on the information pack, it was like for Riz MC. So this is for Riz. You know Riz, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was for Riz, basically. Like they had to put this pack together for him because they wanted him to do it. So it was like, you know, oh, you know, uh, they had a picture of Amir Khan. They had a picture of like a couple of different British Asian artists. And they'd written this thing. And bro, I wish I still had it. I probably still got it somewhere in the PDF file. It is the most embarrassing, cringeworthy shit that I've ever heard. Like, okay. and it was it was absolutely terrible. Like, in, like imagine imagine a middle aged white guy mm. walking to like Green Street or like in Southall, yeah. looking around and saying, "Oh, this is what Asian people are like," and then writing about it. That's exactly what was written, bro. Oh, it was like, oh, I might, I might. Um, I might listen to Grime, but I'll wear a shalwar kameez with trainers. And I might do, 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 And it was just a bunch of stupid, asinine shit, bro. And I remember looking at him thinking, why am I going to, I'm not getting involved in this. I was like, bro, I love man. What is this? And then um, they got in touch again. They were like, oh, please. Like, it would be amazing to get Rax involved, blah, blah. And then I was on the fence with this. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, man. Like, do I want to be like the face of Asian Network? And do I want to be involved in this, like, buffoonery? And then I had a couple of conversations with some really close friends of mine. And one in particular close friend of mine, and he said, bro, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And I was like... it's a great point. I was like, okay. And he's like, bro, they, they could get someone... Like, he goes, at least if you do it, you can come with some authenticity. And yeah, you can do it some justice. About. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, when he said that to me, I was like, okay, all right, cool. So then I had a meeting with the um, with the advertising agency that had put together that 
yeah. bought it. And it was like, I think it was like four or five white guys. And I just remember going in there saying, bruv, what is this shit? Like, but it was literally <laughs> like, going in there, like telling these lot off. Like, yeah, I goes, yeah, yeah. like, who wrote this? Like, this is not what we think. This is not who, who we are. Who signed off on it? That's what you want. Do you know what I mean? I was just, I was just baffled like that this left the room and they all were kind of a little bit sheepish and whatever. And then I was like, leave it with me and I'll, I'll write something. And then I think the next day I wrote something, I sent it over to them. And I think they tried to, they changed a couple of the wordings because mine was a bit too, not militant, but you know, like mine was a bit more yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah. it, it was a little bit, little bit, not, not, it was a safe. little bit, it was a little bit more aggressive, let's say. And then a bit more PC, didn't they? They wanted to just yeah. like, it doesn't need to be as aggressive as that. So <laughs> I think they turned it down a little bit. I wrote another bit and added it to it. And then they, they, um, I think they, they added maybe one or two lines um, or they changed one or two lines that I wrote. Um, and that was it. And then we, we recorded it and um, then it came out. So yeah, that's the story behind that. I mean, when I wrote it, it was literally like, I felt like I had, like, I, I had to represent, like, I felt like, this is for us. Mm. Like, you know, it's not about anyone I, else. I, you know what? The fact that, that, that whole story about how it came about just makes it even more special. And I think the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't manufactured. It was quite organic in the fact that you came on and you was like, right, I want to tear this apart. This is what it actually means to be British Asian. These are the lyrics that I'm, Right, you know, okay, they tweak the odd word and stuff like that, but the the general feeling would have been the same, right? That yeah, yeah. It that, was it was that makes like it even more special. But yeah, it was for me, and I I think I just finished reading Malcolm X's book at at that time, so I was feeling like, bro, who are these people? They think they can tell us who we are. <laughs> like, I was, I was, I was like, you know, I I was like, you know, fully in full on like, nation of Islam. I was in attack. I was like, bruv, in attack, not attack mode, but I was just like, you know, they can't tell us who we are, colonizers, this and that. So I was fully, I was fully like, for me, I felt like this is, uh, I felt like it was my responsibility. That's the biggest thing. Like, I feel like my responsibility. Mm, yeah. If I, if, if I, I would not trust this in someone else's hands, mm. I would right. not trust someone else to do this, to, to represent this in a correct way so i felt like i had to take that responsibility and put that on my shoulders and i, I think did like, that really well yeah you i mean the so fact well, that, that you know, yeah you done it justice your feedback as well on that is amazing so, mm. I, 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 bro. so let's go back to to what i was saying the collaborations and i, I didn't mention on purpose uh before was uh with prophecy yeah that that gets a special mention because it's arguably one of your best work on the the glass ceiling album in my opinion, Glassine is probably one of your best albums. Was there was there something in that title? Because it felt like it came from a from a different place as well. That and also it possibly represented from what you've been telling me everything that happened prior to that. Yeah, it, does that have a special place? Yeah, yeah. Time? I mean, the reason why the album was called Glass Ceiling was because, like I said, there's no one that's done from where I'm from and has done what I've done before me for me to follow their footsteps and be like, this is how I should behave. This is how I should navigate. Mm. These are the songs I should be making. So I felt like there was always kind of like a, you know, a level I was at, like there's a certain level. Okay. You're a rapper, you're an Asian rapper. So this is your level of where you are. Mm. Um, at, at a certain point, sorry, even before this, around 2012, I think or 13, I decided like, I don't want to be classed as an Asian rapper. You can mm. 
treat me like an artist. Yeah. You've got you've got Jazz Star, me and Ron Khan on the bill, then you've got Rackstar. Like we're all artists. No one mm. says, oh, Punjabi single, this they're, like they're just yeah, artists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not gonna be the Asian rapper, I'm gonna be Rackstar as an artist. Mm. And what happened was that that ended up actually happening. Like I've done so many shows where you know it'll it'll be like you know Zach Imran Khan me it'll be mm-hmm. Jack JK me mm-hmm. me and whoever it is like there'll be a, you know I'll be a, I'll be listed and and you know put as an artist rather than okay we got this person now we'll get a rapper so I did that. Yeah. I, I, I I I managed to manifest that mm-hmm. so the next step for me was I need to break through like I still feel like I'm being kind of put in a box a bit I need to break through this glass ceiling yeah so the concept of that album was okay, I've, got, I've done the hard work. I've done all these, like, you know, ciphers. I've done these rap songs. I've done all of this kind of stuff. I've built up so much goodwill from people that respect what I do and they know, mm. what I, they know I can rap. I don't have to prove I can rap anymore. That was the first thing to prove to people. Yeah. Because <laughs> most people look at you and be like, bruv, you ain't a rapper. So I had to prove <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. The next step is to break through a glass ceiling and become, you know, an, an artist who is you know, globally recognized and appreciated as an artist. So yeah, that was the kind of thought process behind Glass Ceiling as a as a as a concept that album was let me put a project together which helps me break through whatever boxes of people are trying to or have put me in. No, it had some it had some great great tracks on that album, Glass Glass Ceiling itself, Yamla Jart, focused with with Humble on there as yeah. well, who's also a fantastic artist from across the pond. And more recently, your feature with First Man alongside Hate Stand Me, Juggy D, Mumsy, that, that tune has absolutely blown up. I mean, yeah, 7 yeah. million plus views uh, or listens on Spotify alone. It also got an award itself, Best Collaboration at British Asian uh, Music Awards, uh, the British Asian Music Awards um, in 2019. So another massive project. Um, obviously now lockdown and all that kind of stuff, but... And you're doing uh, more with Forever Johnnyman, and obviously you are doing well. Your hard work's paying off, and now you're diversifying your own clothing apparel. Uh, Hanji, hello. Finally, tell us tell us the thoughts behind that. What made you want to go into clothing? Um, so Hanji, hello is actually a. It was part of the song I did with Cinderella and Flirt. So the, yeah. you know, the boys, we could start off with a Hanji, hello. She was like Naji, hello. hello. Yeah. So but people used to say that to me all the time. Or, you know, when that song came out, I remember them, people used to tweet it, they used to have it as their, this how old is they used to have it as their Facebook status. Used to, you know, that, it used to be like a like a thing, like, you know, yeah. we could start the Hanji Hello. It was one of these things. I was like, you know what? It'd be cool to put that on a T-shirt. And then I could have another T-shirt saying Naji Eno or something. Like, you know, we could do something cool. And I always wanted to have some sort of, clothing and I tried to do clothing a few times I done like um rackstar clothing I tried to do different branding clothing and I remember seeing um Tinchy Strider had star in the hood at that time yeah 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 and star in the hood clothing even if you didn't know Tinchy Strider you knew star in the hood like yeah. you didn't have to know him as an yeah. artist so I was like you know what I want to create a brand which stands by itself you don't have to know me you don't have to know my music you don't have to know anything but it will be an amazing, sick brand that can stand by itself and anyone yeah. could wear it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I started off with like one T-shirt that I created. A friend of mine helped me like get them printed. I used to get like 10 printed a week. 
because he, he could do like small big up Ali he could do small like runs mm. and he like, bro just let me know how many sizes you want and I remember I had no Excel size and I was doing this all myself so this was like in 2013 yeah. I had the website set up everything going and then um, he, you know, I, I would get the orders in and I would like, you know, post them out and whatever, whatever. And it just built from that. I remember I didn't have, I didn't have double, uh, sorry, I didn't have Excel size because I thought, oh, no one's going to want Excel size. And then I'd get, I got an email like the next week, like, bro, you're not selling Excel size. I want to buy two Excel <laughs> Oversized, <laughs> oversized. Yeah. So then, so then I was like, I rang Ali. I was like, Ali, uh, can you do Excel? He goes, yeah, yeah, I could do Excel. I was like, bro, I'm going to need two of those. Um, but yeah, it was a fun, it, like that time was really, really fun. Now it's kind of built into something which just kind of takes care of itself. No, it's brilliant. Um, the apparel's great. I absolutely love the yeah. hoodies. I still, have, I, still have a, I still have a big, big say in like the designs and what we do and how we push forward. And it's still me. I'm still, it's still my brand. Yeah. But yeah, now it's like, you know, people send me pictures of cricket matches. People are wearing the Hanji Hello t-shirts and hoodies and stuff. Every single Asian gig that I've ever been to, there's always at least one person wearing Hanji Hello right. apparel. Sick. All my, like when I talk to other artists, they're like, bro, people, like your brand's everywhere. So, you know, it's it's taken on a life of its own and I'm so grateful for that. And it did what I wanted it to do. I didn't want it to be just like, oh, if you're a rap star fan, you wear it. Mm. Anyone. And, and it mm. does that now. Anyone does wear it. Not one Pete. Not two Pete. It's the three Pete. This is the part of the show where we ask you uh, what tracks you can play on repeat over and over again. You you can select three, whether it's uh, playing it in your car, whether it's playing in your bedroom on your headphones, or whether it in the shower, anywhere. What are your three tracks? Let's start with the first one. Let's go. Okay, the first one is uh, Mirza Part 2 by Punjabi MC. Punjabi MC. Absolutely sick. Unbelievable song. Staple. staple, staple of the three. A staple, man. It's so is it? good. Yeah. Is it? How, how well, other people said it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We honestly, God, it's it's one of the popular ones because, what, well, why not? It's it's, it's such an. I know Sajjanabe Sajjanabe. Well, everyone knows yeah. Sajjanabe Sajjanabe. Yeah, that is. That is. <laughs> what? What? So what? What? What, what yeah. is it for you, Rax? This that this song? Because I know this is a, you know, this is a song that gets potentially said a lot, but it's always great to hear. The personal story. I, okay, it, let, like, let, let me let me. I'll, I'll tell you the personal story then. So, it's about the whole album, but specifically this song. So, I remember I, what year did that come out? Was it ninety seven or ninety six? It came out. It was 97. the 90s, late nineties. Yeah. Yeah, it was legal on the legalized album. Mm. So I remember okay, I went to this uh, party, someone's Mendy or something at a house, one of my family friends, and um, they played Monday at the and the Night Rider thing come on. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever heard that song, and I was like what the hell it, my mind was completely blown and I was like what is this and they were like oh it's uh, Punjabi MC so I remember writing it down I got a piece of paper and I wrote it down yeah. Punjabi MC then a week later I was listening to we had BBC Three Counties Radio they used to have an Asian show that used to come like once a week and I was listening to that show and I hear like a rap song and I'm like okay cool for my woman my woman is my man and then I'm listening but yo this is sick and then all of a sudden you hear this Punjabi vocal out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. this. Mm. And I remember I recorded it. I had it on cassette. I recorded it and I and I phoned the uh, radio station. I'm like, oh, you just played a song. It was like a rapper. And they was like, who was it? They're like, oh, Punjabi MC. I'm like, what? It's the same guy that had the song last week. That I think he's all right down Punjabi MC. And then my cousin bought the tape, legalized. Yeah. And I played that tape from front to every single song was amazing. Yes. 
played that album so many times and Mirza, the reason why I say Mirza part two is the first time I heard someone brown rapping on a song mm. and a Punjabi vocal on it. And it was just sick. Like you could play that to this day. It hasn't aged a day. Punjabi oh, no. in on that song is my destiny. She speaks through her every freaky line. Like, bruv, you know how many times <laughs> I, I copied that lyric when I was young and I used to put that in my songs. Like, bro, amazing verse, like, you know, oh man, just classic, super, super. It hits classic. somewhere else, man. That, that Surinder Shinda vocals, I, yeah. I came across the video. I didn't even touch the Shinda vocal. Oh, it hits somewhere else, man. Mm. It's, and the crazy thing, that album legalized phenomenal. That and Grassroots. They were yeah. they were pivotal uh, during the uh, during that time to the point that people didn't even used to call the track Monday at the Batchke. They used to call it legalized, like Punjabi okay. MC legalized. That's what people <laughs> like in, on the DJ scene was like. Have you got legalized? They knew oh, what tune we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, because that's wow. that, that's what they would play. Um, but that's a, that's a strong start, and it like, like Max said, it's it's a staple on the three peat for for a very obvious reason. But obviously, that's every- a, like, like if you look at me, like you know that's. That's another step as me as an artist. So, yeah. you know, an Apache Indian yeah. and then Punjabi, like, like, that's like a pivotal point for me as well. I was like, cool, you can do that. You can rap and you can have this kind of right, time, do yeah. So, that was a big thing for me. That's, that's why it's great to hear your take on that track because, you know, everyone's got their own, you know, their own side to it. But I can, I, for me, having heard your story, you can see why that song would be so relevant to you because of what it, what it stands for as a song. It's not just about sonically it sounds good. It also stands yeah. for something, doesn't it? And that's what's definitely, really important about that song. Definitely. What's number two then, Rax? What we moved on to is it's a hard one number to follow. Two, number two is a rap song. It's Common the Light. Six tune. Big, 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 big so, tune. So, big tune. so tune. like how I was talking about before, how um, Like Water for Chocolate was such a pivotal al- uh, album for me yeah. and you know, such a turning point. I mean, that song was the first song that I ever heard from that album. That was the first song that I ever heard. And the light, man, like, it's just, like, lyrically, like, listen to the song, what he's saying. Oh, yeah. So good. You know, so he's so vulnerable on that song. The sample is amazing. The production is spot on. It's just, you know, I feel like that's, like, the the, the best love song, probably, the rap love song that's ever written. You could just... Thing, man. Like it's it's vulnerable, it's honest, it's 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 perfect, and it reminds me of that time, like you know, when I was a, a youngster and I was just like, oh wow, you can this is what music can be, like, music can be like this, like, you can put this in a song. It was it being the first one that you heard as well. It, it probably resonates with you even more, doesn't it? Obviously, in that that particular moment in time, unbelievable Fully. song, and, and that amazing that, artist that opened, as well. That opened the you know that that was my gateway to, to common as artist to that album and then oh my kind of finding who i am in music we're starting to see a bit of a picture here aren't i, I we? love i love that yeah we we are and i love that you've picked the light but I, I really love that we've spoke about common today because you know conscious rap is like it's not it's not uncommon now to to kind of use his name in that but it's uh, you know it's it's around now and it's it's made it even you know the the J Coles and everyone they 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 made it into the mainstream Kendrick Lamar all those kind of people they it's 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 
it's normal to hear those kind of things. But the reason why I love that you brought Common into this conversation is, as you said, that that CD wasn't in amongst all the other CDs. That was the import CD. That's the one that's the most expensive one. And for you, for you as a British Asian, to you have to go and hunt for Common. You don't just get exposed to it by accident. You have to go looking for mm. that kind of stuff. And I think it's great that because it really does show where your mind has been as an artist to say, no, nah, I don't want to just be like everyone else out there. I don't just want to say, talk about the, it's kind of, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not for me. I want to do something true and vulnerable and real. And there is not that many people getting exposure. I'm going to search for that and use it as an inspiration. And I think Common, the light is probably the the most real pick we've had right. in the three P. It's right, one right. of those songs. I, I think, I think it's, for me, it's one of my favorite picks that I've ever heard on the three-peat because it's we're talking real message here. We're not talking, this is just a nice track yeah. and it sounds good and it's lasted a long time. We're talking about an artist who decided to be vulnerable, real, you know, and an African-American artist talking about stuff that really hurts when in a, in a, in a scene where it was all about bravado and masculinity. I mean, Common's yeah, a legend. Fully. And that song, like, there's a version that I heard on... Um, online somewhere where I think Prince is doing the chorus, like Prince oh, showed wow. up did the chorus and there's a live version of it. Amazing. And it's just, you know, I can listen to that song. Like, I think, well, that's why it's a three P, but yeah, I can listen to that song <laughs> every day. Like it just takes me somewhere yeah. else. Like, like I say, Rex, we're, we're starting to, to paint a picture now. We're starting to see different sides of your personality. What, what are you going to end it on? How's that, how's this going to be topped off and, and finished? There's only, there's only, you know, one way that you know and last week you had b2 pick this as well i listened to that and i was like oh man he picked the song that i was gonna pick <laughs> i was hoping to be like has anyone else picked this one yeah we, we've had have it we've had it once before last season okay so it's not so and it's a tune man that's just um and we're talking about the 17 minute version as well that's you the only one to we're, listen we're talking to. About the, we're talking about the 17 minute version, we're talking about the 25 minute version, we're talking about the 18 minute version. If you go on YouTube, there's like five or six different versions. Yeah, they're yeah. And they're all amazing. The, 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 actual, the actual longer version <clears throat> is probably my favorite because there's a verse in there that's not in every version. Okay. Um, when he says, uh, uh, that's not in every version mm. so and that's such a beautiful line yeah, like, yeah absolutely and, and and every version because obviously when it's done live it's done live so yeah all the versions that we've got there's this slight different, different change yeah, yeah, yeah. they start differently they might have a different but that particular verse at the, and that's right at the end of the song and I mean you know Gwali like it's spiritual man it just puts it takes you, you on such a journey man the music so, you get like, lost in it completely whatever whatever you're feeling bro, I, bro i've listened to that song and i've been in tears like you yeah. know it just takes you somewhere else and you just the beauty of it actually can you if you connect to that at any level there is no way you can be in any type of pain like there's, it's just love man like and that just puts you in a completely different mind frame but it's, it's great to listen to him as well because almost Nusra Fatih Ali Khan gets lost in the lyrics. He gets lost in in the actual song himself. He he allows it to take him on a journey, and he he steers his way through it, and he takes you with him. 
It's, it's yeah. so beautiful, man. Like the highs and the lows. I mean, unlike Bitu, you can listen to it over and over, but he says, don't listen to it over yeah, and yeah. over again. No, no, because I, I, I listen to different different versions. Yeah. He, said, he said he was running and then yeah. he has to yeah. slow down. If you got, there's one version which is stays at the same melody, which is, I think, about 17 minutes. But, you know, there's a version that he did at BBC Studios or some yeah. YouTube, a shorter version of it's like eight minutes. Um, I love all of them, man, every single one, because there's slight changes in the vocals, there's slight changes in the structure. Mm. All these little small nuances are just amazing to hear because I already love it. So how can you do it slightly? It's the beauty of live music as well, isn't it? You always get something different uh, no matter where, in all the different places that you hear it from. I think, Brax, that's amazing three P. I I think, I think yeah. if it wasn't for, for common and that kind of thing, we've had the other two before, but it takes it up there. It, it, it definitely elevates it. A notch. I think it was uh, fantastic, and where it comes from as well is is also special. I know Mac loves this one. You, you know, you know, I, I, I love the common track, and you know, like I say, the other two tracks were featured in three piece before. But what I really like about why you've picked him is your justification for the meaning behind it. A lot of people have picked him for different reasons, and you know, everyone's got their own reason. But what I love about your three piece racks is if you were to take three songs. Put them in a bowl and stir them up, and you pick these three thrums. You would get Rackstar <laughs> after you stirred them up together. Do you know what I mean? It's like you cut if you cut you if you cut you in half and look what was there. It is a mixture of yeah. these things, and and what I really love about it is you know sometimes people sometimes people pick a hip hop track as a kind of it's almost a throwaway track. Like oh yeah, you know there's there's this track, but what I really love about your three P is you don't you haven't just picked any hip-hop track you've picked a really meaningful mm. powerful one you've picked Mirza part two which is for you as an artist I can see exactly why that represents you that track and then you've picked Nusra and it's like oh hang on a minute now you've just gone common American hip-hop vulnerable meaningful lyrics and then you've gone completely flipped to the other side so I just think you've shown us all all shades of your spectrum which is a really great thing to do in three tracks is really difficult and I think You've really shown who you are and what you stand for in three tracks beautifully. You know, if I could pick 10, I would have picked 10, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> trust me, we've yeah, had yeah. people try to do four, five, six beats. <laughs> we've tried, man, we've had to put our foot down. Yeah, I had to, I had to kind crazy. of narrow it down to those three. But yeah, I mean, they, they do represent me, man. Like, they, they, they have a unique connection to me, and I feel mm. like they, you know, you you put that together. This is uh, I'm a I'm an amalgamation of everything that I've been through and everything yeah, that I've been yeah. exposed to. And you, can, you can definitely see those that. songs. Those songs are like ultimates for me. So if I can create anything which is on the level of those, that's something that I aspire to do. So mm. if I can touch someone, those songs touch me like emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, if I can create something that does 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 that for someone else. Then you know I've I've succeeded. That's an amazing way to put it. So, Rax, the final question of the show. Uh, we ask this to absolutely anybody, everybody, and you can answer it in any way that you want. It's what it means to you. The final question is, are you Roots or are you Rhymes? I mean, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to answer this question because <laughs> I feel like everyone's answered it in different ways. But, you know, I'm trying to think of something smart to say or something funny or, you know, something meaningful. But it just boils down to this, and I don't know if someone said this before, like, Without the roots, there would be no rhymes. And I've, I'm done. Else has said that, but that's how I feel for myself. I feel like absolutely. 
the, from the roots, everything else comes from that. So the mm. rhymes are from the roots. So yeah, I would have to say roots, man. It's all, it's all, it's all joined from there, from, from, from where we're connected at the root, everything, the rhymes and everything come from that. I think, I think, I think that's the beauty of roots and rhymes. You can interpret it in any way that you want. I mean, some people might say roots are where I come from, my culture and that kind of thing. But for you, it's more a case of it's who I am. I, I've got my roots and everything else stems from that. And, yeah. and, and your rhymes stem from that. And I think that's, that's a really important message, I think. So here you have it. Rax is roots, man. He's roots through and through. And I've got a song called Roots as well. You can check that out. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> right, Rax, this is an opportunity for you to plug anything you've got going on. Tell the listeners what you're doing. Uh, what you're going to be doing, what you have been doing, let them know. Um, so we just dropped the new Hanji Hello um, winter collection. So a bunch of really cool hoodies, check those out. Um, I just dropped, a, you know, 10 years later, what we were talking about before, 10 years later, Forever Journeyman, uh, the the sequel to the original, which came out 10 years ago. Um, and I got a bunch of new music coming this year. So, you know, stay tuned. And I think the best stuff that I've ever done is not out yet. So I'm excited about what I'm, I'm going to be releasing. Sick. Sick. No, absolute pleasure having you on the yeah, show. Looking forward to Today, that. Rax, it's been a great journey throughout your career. I hope you enjoyed it as well, talking about it. Um, we'd love to have you on um, next time. Definitely. Defo. Yeah, Defo. Let's do this again, man. Thank you guys so much. And keep it up. Like I said at the beginning, like, you know, you guys are doing really important important work you're documenting a lot of amazing stories so keep at it man thank you so much brother The UK is on red alert. As part of our commitment to the British Asian events industry, we're campaigning with We Make Events to help raise vital funds for those who can no longer work as a result of live events being cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can help by donating using the link in the description of this podcast because together we can help make events again.